0: Hey guys, welcome to Not Just a Hashtag Podcast, presented by Trees of Hope. I'm your host, Nicole Escobar, with my co-host, Anissa, Kristen, and Mariah. On this podcast, we will be discussing the epidemic of sexual abuse, its realities, and the unfiltered ways in which it has affected all of our lives. We share our personal stories and how our lives have been restored. While this podcast is for everyone, we do want to let you know that we use several trigger words and this is geared more towards adult audiences. This podcast is for anyone who wants to educate themselves on the statistics behind sexual abuse, signs to look out for, and how to prevent it from happening. So let's get to it. Hey guys, welcome to episode 18 of the Not Just a Hashtag podcast. I am Nicole Escobar and I'm here with the Thrive Tribe. How are you ladies doing? I'd love to say that um, just sharing
1: with everyone listening that this has been um, awesome for us and even just for me and my healing journey and being able to talk about all these things have really revealed the fact that... um, this for me is like a picture I like think about things in pictures and I picture just this black ugly rock and I'm just like slowly cracking through that and inside there's something really beautiful and um and I think just some of those things like I'm realizing that every time we hear someone reach out to us and say like this is changing my life this is like really set me to a place where I'm ready to get healing. Um, and, and that's just like, there's a jewel that just came. And then, um, I've just had my two cousins call me and because my experience was with the family, um, it makes it really difficult through all these past 13 years. And, um, I just had amazing conversations with them, and Amanda and Katie, love you so much. Um, Them just calling and encouraging me and crying with me and believing me and supporting me and um, getting my back, and I was just able to tell them, like, this is just another jewel. Like, you're just another, now you're another jewel in my story and cracking through that ugly outside and realizing there's something beautiful that can come out of it. So So good.
2: Yeah, it is. It makes it so encouraging to hear that, Mariah, those kind of stories, too. It makes all of the effort worth it.
0: It does. Yeah. So, Mariah, I actually feel the same way. Um, Since starting this podcast, I have had so many experiences that have changed, have been different. So one of those big ones is that I've talked to my parents about what has happened to me. And um, I remember when I started this podcast, I was kind of going back and forth about it and then finally had that conversation. And now I feel so free and I feel like I'm not living a double life anymore. And so now the things that I'm saying, I'm saying like with confidence in both arenas. Right. And so that's the hope for anybody who's listening to this podcast that's going You know, I don't know if I'm ready to do any of these things. I don't know if there is hope. I don't know if I'm going to have that conversation. You just keep coming, but also uh, do the hard work. And we're hoping that we're providing you with ways to do that. And so I just love being here, not only getting to hang out with you guys, but I love this.
3: I also love this.
0: (laughs) So Anissa, you have a really awesome current event. Yes, courtesy of Kristen.
3: Our in group counselor now. (laughs) 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 Um, Kristen had sent us an article on a case that actually happened in 2015. So, um, courtesy of Kristen, an article that she actually sent to us, and so we all read it and were honestly really amazed. There was a case in 2015 of a, it is very similar to something that we've discussed before as a current event. Unfortunately, it's sad that there has been a similar case where the rapist, this person that committed a crime, um, everyone just wanted to highlight you know, that he was a swimmer and this but at a really great school and an incredible athlete and had so much potential. And then his victim was just this unnamed woman. And she didn't even get to find out anything about the case until she happened to read about it online, which I mean, even that thought alone is so horrifying. And so um, she has officially come forward. She wrote a memoir called know my name her name is chanel miller and so she came out and she talked about her entire experience with being raped and how she didn't have any memory of it and how even just the court proceedings were so traumatizing for her because over and over again um, people were saying like um, she has no memory she has no memory she has no memory and even reading that i feel like mariah could also attest to just reading that was like you know I also had no memory of when I had been raped I feel like if I were to have to testify about that night like I don't know what I would say and so just the fact that she did move forward with wanting to see some sort of justice served which I mean it was really hard to read that he had committed like an actual heinous crime and was in jail for like three months and so that's another reason why victims don't ever report because what's the point in having to go before all these strangers and share the most violating thing that's ever happened to you to then really see no form of justice take place but she's come forward and she's written this memoir and there were so many incredible quotes from this article that we were all saying um, to each other in our group chat. She had been at a party, she was intoxicated, he dragged her outside and raped her behind a dumpster, two Swedes came and saved her. Um, You can look up the article if you want to know more, but one of the quotes from Chanel Miller was, "'Rape is not a consequence for being drunk, hungover is.' And we all loved that. And then, too, something that Nicole and I were talking about is her case ended up changing laws in California. And then that judge who had given the perpetrator such a light sentence was disbarred. And so, um, truly, a lot of good did come from such a horrific circumstance and she talked a lot about how she like spiraled out of control emotionally and the depression and isolation she experienced after the story came out and she was trying to piece things together and so um someone in the article I think one of the interviewers had called her story like a manifesto for survivors and so I'm sure at some point in time it'll be something that I want to pick up and Potentially leaf through but at the same time I feel like I just don't know if I can do it like even just reading the interview I felt so deflated because you know when you've experienced rape everything she's talking about is just something you so can like physically empathize with in a way that's just like really exhausting so exciting to see that she has created something that I think so many people will be able to benefit from and relate to and just that you know she's doing so much good from something so bad that happened to her which is what we're trying to do too.
1: Yeah I think when you watch it you can see that she stands her ground which is what was really cool to watch her do and even in the interview like the guy was even said you so how you know you put yourself in that Um, vulnerable situation and the way she just said so you know vulnerability means you can be raped you know but I love one of the other interviews with like her lawyer or something like that to help fight the case where she was like they were all the articles and the news were focusing more on what he had to lose than what he did and honestly that happens a lot like well what is this person gonna lose and as a victim as someone who experienced like well I don't sometimes you feel guilt like this is gonna ruin their lives especially if it's someone you know and you love or loved you know so
3: no my gosh yeah I didn't even you're right that was another very like poignant piece of the article that's like so their their chance at life outweighs what happened to me like Mm -hmm. their potential is of more significance and importance than my violation at the end of the day so yeah and we were talking me and nicole um
1: about like if if you think well you're well she was drunk she put herself in a vulnerable situation so it's not surprising that she was raped well what about a child you know they're vulnerable so they deserve to be raped what about an elderly person in a care home where so they're weak and they're old no one cares about them so they deserve to be raped someone that's having like that's under someone of power well you know you know think of it that way and then you see well that's ridiculous well
0: why isn't this also ridiculous you know Mm -hmm. yeah and the thing that i loved the most about this was that um the judge the sorry the prosecutor that was on her side gave her the opportunity to write out her story and read it in front of and look him directly in the face and she started it off by saying you've been inside of me but you don't know me Mm -hmm. and I was like whoa yeah and she said that he wouldn't even make eye contact with her or anything so um that can be really healing right and also very traumatizing too (laughs) um yeah yeah, she said that's that's how she became popular was because um they took that that letter and it ended up becoming public and it has been retweeted re um, YouTube girls have um, read her letter on YouTube a hundred thousand times. I mean, it went viral. And it's a great letter. Buzzfeed picked it up. Is what happened, and then we all know what happens when Buzzfeed Buzzfeed picks anything up. Yeah, Buzzfeed, Buzzfeed, give us a (laughs) (laughs) shot. Okay, so this is the third and final part of the series we've been doing that discuss family dysfunctions and how they can cause issues in your healing journey. If you didn't listen to last week's episodes, check them out um, because they all come together, and there's three episodes altogether and it's really good to start from the beginning. So check out the last two to get the connected episodes. Now let's recap the last four common dysfunctions. Number one, a dysfunctional family has a needy family member or members who receive an inappropriate portion of the family's attention, time, and energy so that members learn to be overly responsible toward needy people and irresponsible about themselves. Number two, a dysfunctional family denies things and secrecy is promoted. Number three, a dysfunctional family has either repressed emotions, explosive emotions, or both. And number four, a dysfunctional family does not teach effective living skills to children. So today we are covering just one more common characteristics of dysfunctional family and then give some hope and understanding that redemption is possible and comes in many different forms. We want to remind you again that no family is perfect and every family has some sort of dysfunction. These episodes, again, are not meant to bash your family, your family unit, or to blame families, but rather to help you acknowledge the dysfunction in the family and move forward in a healthy way. The purpose is to understand how your past affects your recovery. As you better understand your family, you will better understand yourself and your reactions. So the fifth and final common family dysfunction we will be talking about today is how a dysfunctional family squeezes the members into rigid, inappropriate roles. Children in dysfunctional families develop survival roles and these roles are either assigned by the family or unconsciously chosen by the child. So some examples of survival roles include scapegoat, usually blamed for the family problems, hero, works hard to bring respect to the family name. Surrogate spouse often takes the place of the emotionally absent spouse and becomes the child counselor for a troubled adult parent. Lost child never gets in the way or causes trouble because this family already has enough problems. Surrogate parent takes over the responsibility of parenting tasks. Clown avoids the pain by being the center of attention. So, Kristen, did you have some feedback on those?
2: Sure. I think that when you re- when you look at all of these different roles, I think that the main, the key thing that happens is that the child is not able to just be themselves. They're having to pl- play a role. The reason it's that it's called roles is because it's almost like playing a role in a play. Um, you know, whether it is that scapegoat, you know, that they get blamed for everything that happens, or even like I want to jump into like the surrogate spouse. Um, and this is, I mean, just any of these are just really, really dysfunctional. And again, if someone is carrying around, um, abuse that happened to them, and then in addition, having to play out one of these roles, there's no space for them to get any healing, to talk about what happened you know to them so it just perpetuates the hiding the shame because they have too much they're responsible for as it is a child shouldn't be responsible for uh, being a surrogate spouse or being a surrogate parent or being the scapegoat or the hero or any of those things and think about the hero one right that one sounds like uh it could be a positive thing oh that's they're the hero in the family you want to know how much pressure that is anyone out there who's ever been the hero of the family um, that's a ton of pressure because there's no space to just be human because guess what? Humans make mistakes. Humans, um, are growing though at the same time, you know, have the potential for growth, but a hero is supposed to have already arrived, you know? So a lot of these things too, I think if we look at these roles as they get played out throughout um, someone's lifetime, again, there's no space for, um, vulnerability, um, you know, and really, again, looking at and asking for healing, processing what happened to them until these roles are dealt with. And they're finally given permission to not have to play that role anymore.
0: So when do they know they have permission to not play that role anymore?
2: It's a good question. I think it's, I think someone has to, I, I would say one of the ways in which I've seen it happen, you know, remember I I said last week too, I mean, it's not a, hard and fast rule for everyone. But I would say one of the ways in which I've seen it happen is actually telling someone that like I, you know, especially like as a therapist saying like, you know, it's not your responsibility. It is not your responsibility to be respon to, be responsible for everyone's emotions in your family or making everyone happy or being the hero, playing that role. Sometimes they've never heard anything remotely like that. And so all they know to do is to play, you know, again, play that role because the expectation's there. And again, a lot of times too, these things are unsaid. These are unspoken expectations. But they they run throughout the whole family. So again, telling someone out loud it's not their responsibility is a really powerful thing. Doesn't have to be from a therapist, can be from a close friend, can be from a family member that recognizes this is what's going on, can be from a parent that looks back and says, like, oh my gosh, I put you in that role. That was my fault. Because remember, as parents, you are the adult. You are the responsible party not your kids. Kids are not responsible for parents' um, emotions.
0: So out of the survivor roles that we just mentioned, we want you to think about any of the roles that would describe your behavior in your family. Remember that your role may have changed over the years as your family changed. We also want you to think about what effects your roles in the family have upon how you cope with your sexual abuse. Can you identify the roles that other family members played? What was the effect of their role on your feelings and behavior? We know that there are going to be a lot of emotions after identifying the role or roles you have played in your family. Know that it's normal to feel sad, lonely, ashamed, angry, afraid, guilty, or any other emotion that you might be feeling right now
3: out of the roles that Nicole just named and then Kristen went through something that we definitely want to stress is with surrogate spouse there's no romantic connotation necessarily there can be but there also cannot be because I think in my family I was definitely like a surrogate spouse to my mom like I was especially when I was in college and my dad was going through a lot and just not there emotionally I was calling my mom like every single day. I was coming home every weekend and just very, very there and ever present and anything my mom needed. And I honestly that continued even after college a lot. And I think like now that I'm married and actually someone's real spouse that has changed and morphed. And like now my mom is really just my best friend and my dad isn't a much better place and like there as a husband and as my dad like he is that and things have definitely changed but for so long I definitely played the role of like my mom's defender and protector and listening ear and confidant and played the role that a spouse is supposed to play like I was dependable and consistent because my dad was not so I think in evaluating the role that you may have played in your family it's good to know that surrogate spouse does not mean (laughs) that you had a weird romantic relationship with a parent it's just that you weren't allowed to be a kid or their kid because you had to step up and take the place of the
0: other parent well also when I think about this I think of like a two parents who aren't actually showing each other the love that they're supposed to be showing each other, right? And so instead of maybe the dad coming home and sharing his emotions with his wife, he goes and shares it with the daughter or the son or whatever. So I can see how that can easily turn into a best friendship or whatever, but it gets weird when that other person, that person in that relationship, as in the mom or the dad or whatever, is not getting their emotional needs met by that person does that make sense to you guys you know what i yeah. mean because mm-hmm. like when i think about my my family uh, my dad did this you know he not doesn't come home and doesn't share with his wife he doesn't connect with her but he'll call his sister and talk on the phone for hours and i'm i watch my mom just like crumble and she acts like nothing's wrong but i'm like you're you truly want him to be talking like that to you and I can see how that can easily happen with a child and a mm-hmm. parent situation.
1: Yeah. And I think even just going to the thing that Kristen said was like you're you automatically take that responsibility to make your parent happy. So I, I'm, it's my responsibility to make them happy and make them feel supported. And, you know, sometimes I don't even know parents know that they're doing that to their child in even small ways. Like, oh, you're not going to give me a hug. That makes, that makes daddy sad. You're making daddy sad. Well, then they're going to say, I, I have to do what, I need to make my dad happy Mm. by giving him what he needs. And um, it could be as small as that. It doesn't have to be very deep. But I think even in the sense of like maybe um, addictions and um, finding that, you know, that rockiness between a, a man and a wife and they have to find that support somewhere in that family home. And one of those roles you don't mean to take up. It's just what the child does. So... Some of these roles are not like all of a sudden you choose to be this. It It's formed for the family function or whoever to survive. Um, and I relate to that. Mm. I do. I relate to that for sure. And I think I also relate to the lost child. Um, I, I never got in the way or caused any trouble um, because we already had some some problems in our family so I made sure that I was like the good child and um, I didn't know that I was doing that I can look back and say huh maybe I took that role maybe I took that role I could see that because um, I wasn't you know I was like the peacemaker and I was always good and didn't say anything I didn't want to rock the boat mm-hmm. and then when I was a child I was the clown like the middle of attention. I was funny and stuff like that but when I got a little bit older, when I understood what was going on more, I think I I just took up that I'm gonna just I'm gonna just
0: become like in the back so that I don't cause more problems. So, but do you, don't you think that being sexually abused changed that? Like maybe when you were a clown, you were just a little bit more free. Sometimes I do feel that way for sure
1: when um, you were a clown. <laughs> but I know what you mean, like that clown role, and I think like
0: um, maybe, I don't know. Maybe not the it clown changes. that this clown is talking about, but I'm saying more free spirited. And then as you got older, cause we were talking about before we started this podcast about how, um, you didn't want to be certain, like you didn't want to rock the boat too. Cause if you did, you would have pointed out that something was wrong, right? That too, for sure. And if you pointed out something was wrong, then maybe somebody would have asked what's yeah. going on. Why don't you want to hang out with this person? And then you would have been had to deal with talking yep. about it yeah
1: and face it myself yeah so and I think we were talking it, it says that it could it can change it could waver depending on as the family changes as things change mm-hmm. so it's understandable
3: that you can like literally have all of these at one point maybe I feel like I still struggle with I feel like I've okay I feel like I've barely like grown out of playing the clown role like in my family and it's hard because I think sometimes we can also like maybe misinterpret some things we do because I know that I always use humor to try and alleviate uncomfortable situations like if I am really sad and it's very obvious I'll always like make a joke about it even like in friend group settings like and David even said the other my husband even said the other day he was like oh it's just so funny because you eat up like, people, like, giving you attention or compliments, and I got very offended, and it turned into a big fight, because I was like, everyone loves being complimented, and he was like, well, some people just love it more, which you do, (laughs) and I was like, okay, whatever, but I feel like it's easy, just like Mariah was saying, to feel like you've been all of these, because I feel like, yeah, there is a part of me that I was never the lost child, I can't say that, but, I feel like with
0: all the other ones, like, I definitely have been there. I'm perfect. I actually never struggled with any of these roles. No, I definitely, as you guys are talking, I'm like, okay, I've been, I've been in different points in my life. I've definitely been one or the other. Um, so we all got something to work through in our families for sure. So now what we want to do is touch very quickly on a topic called fantasy bonding. This is a defense formed during your childhood that hurts the adult relationships you have now. A fantasy bond is an illusion of connection and closeness that allows the person with the fantasy bond to maintain a false idea of being loved and loving while preserving emotional distance. Anissa, you had some good reflections on here. So when I was going
3: through my super intensive counseling I was exposed to this term because um the first like (laughs) I was 14 but I mean sexual relationship I was in with an older guy um was the definition of fantasy bonding and I really did believe that I was being loved and loved him there was no emotional intimacy and there was a lot of abuse like emotional physical abuse but I remained in the relationship and you know in my mind like whenever I recounted anything it was like a very loving intimate healthy relationship but it, the whole basis of it was sex and just control but I had bonded and it was a fantasy bond it was not an authentic bond when you actually emotionally bond with someone it's because it's in a healthy environment you and that other person are healthy people that are not entering into a codependent relationship or a toxic one or a controlling one but you are bonding with them respecting them growing with them individually and in a relationship and so when you think about a fantasy bond it's an inauthentic disingenuine connection you have with someone there's no real bond it's either manipulation Or control or abusive so it's not a true bond we were all discussing fantasy bonding and just the idea of it and we don't want you to hear this we want to expose you to this term so that you can evaluate your relationships and your past relationships and really take true inventory of your relationships and what they really were because it's a coping mechanism you feel like you know you have to believe that you are loving and being loved by someone to continue forward and making progress and you can look back and I can look back now on my relationship with that person that I did fantasy bond with and realize like there was no authentic bonding that happened there was manipulation and control and that's what we want to do with you is expose you to this term and have you look back and analyze what relationships did I have that I thought were very healthy that I was moving forward in and progressing but I was having to do that to be okay to cope with the reality of toxicity and manipulation and unhealthiness because that's what it is is it's a coping mechanism and like Nicole said it's something that you learn as a child that you then take into adulthood and it does affect your relationships and it causes you to be you know a disingenuine person and lack authenticity in relationships and not be fully present or deal with reality because you get stuck as a child coping with these bad relationships these unhealthy relationships and you have to believe that you're bonding with them so that you can
0: just make it and it does affect you as an adult yeah I just want to add one thing because as you were talking it got me thinking of people or women or anyone who's being sexually harassed maybe at a job and you deal with it because you think that maybe they're treating you special or that some they see something special in you and that you're receiving these um, toxic things that anyone else would be like this is horrible do not allow this person to be talking to you this way report them but you allow it because you feel a connection with them and I speak of that only because right when you guys started talking I thought of my last my specific one job that I had been in for years that that jo- boss was sexually harassing me nonstop, and I feel like I had a fantasy bond with them because I was like but they like me and they're going to offer me this great position and they're creating this awesome role for me and all this stuff. And they didn't give a rip about me at all. They just wanted what they wanted from me. And that was to, you know, lust after me and everything else. So I don't know, this really spoke like directly to that. And, And if anyone's out there and they're dealing with a boss like that, I definitely tell you to please sit back and reflect and pray. Is this Uh, a fantasy bond
1: I definitely relate to this the first time I heard about it I'm like huh so that's what it is you know that you know especially in my situation with being um you know the abuse was in my family so I had to continue to see them I had to continue living with them or um hanging out with them and so there was just with my brother and I was a child I somehow took responsibility for him I felt responsible for him and whenever he was in his addiction or his depression or his downward spirals and he needed to talk to somebody he again continued like you're the only one that understands me you know and that actual verbiage was even when he was abusing me so it like settled itself in me so I'm like okay all right you know so the way for me to cope with the fact that my brother was sexually gratified by his sister me and instead of like facing that plus I had held the responsibility it was my fault I somehow created of this fake bond with him because it made me feel better I guess or just to cope with that reality and as my cousin came into the picture with, um, what he did to me. I, looking back now, I can see like how, like if any of my family members or anyone who knew me and my cousin would say, wow, they did, they had a great bond. So maybe it was mutual, you know, but the reality is, is that I didn't, I, deep down, I felt disgusted to be around him. And I, um, partly was just like, if I, if I don't bond with him, then someone's going to know something's wrong. So why are you all this? You know what I mean? So it was a way to even protect the secret of, one, I'm going to have to face it. So in that way, I'm coping with some other way to hide it even from myself. Because um, something that my counselor, when well, my very, very first one, she helped me see, um, she said this to me and she said, you have to separate your cousin as your cousin to be able to look past and realize that he is a perpetrator and that he's a criminal to you and it wasn't until she said that that I was like I I do I have to separate him and it helped actually like break that whole mindset so hopefully this makes sense it, it really didn't at first so when I look back and I can see like wow there was this weird fantasy bond one to cope with the fact that that reality was too much to bear and then two i didn't want anyone to know my reality do you know what i mean Mm -hmm. yes no
3: i mean like all of everything that we talked about today ultimately like the root of it is an inability to be your authentic self like even when you're you know acting out one of the roles that we were talking about earlier it's like you know child is not one of the roles listed because That was our authentic self that we should have been able to be Mm -hmm. but because of our dysfunctional family we had to take on a disingenuine facade like not our true self and that's also what a fantasy bond is they're all coping mechanisms and it's an in it's an inability to to be yourself and that's what's so like it's so weird even like when I say that right now I feel like am I my true self right now it's so hard like and I think like it today's culture it's like be you and it's like who am I <laughs> who's me it's so it's so hard especially like coming from I'm not saying me personally but also yes like coming from a dysfunctional family and being a survivor of sexual assault it's like really finding your identity apart from Christ is like impossible mm-hmm. you know and I know like the three of us survivors can definitely attest to that and say like ever trying to find your identity apart from like anything besides Jesus Christ is just like so detrimental and it's not your true self I agree with that
1: for sure I think when you were talking too like I was thinking huh how does this how does this whole thing play a role now though because I really didn't think it made a role now in my life I'm like all right I had victory. the bond is fake and then I'm like grounded in that and I'm able to just separate everything and I'm bold now instead of trying to rescue them. Um, and I'm like, huh, I actually have a couple situations of friendships that like it took someone else to say that's that's rude what they're doing. Like they that was not right. Like why are you friends with this person? Because to me, that was not respecting you and i'm like no 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 it's not that it's not that like yeah but they they weren't thinking about you oh no so in a way it was like huh it's it, i was kind of accepting less you know and almost making uh an excuse for that person because of our bond and then i guess that's too much to bear in a way of like oh well our bond
3: is so strong yeah it's like trying to like avert yourself from the pain like you view a situation inaccurately so you don't feel sad about it
1: yeah and I think it's also a sense of unworthiness Mm -hmm. like not seeing myself in that light of like worthy if not enough you know and valuing myself enough and like Anissa you were saying like really I have found my value and my importance and my significance in the Lord because he's made me so and that's the thing that you know at the end of the day if I ever doubt it I I've been proven that by him Mm -hmm. so
0: yeah and like one of the things that keeps coming to my mind is that as we're talking and yes our identity is found in Christ and all these things but you can create who you want to be now and I want to be someone who doesn't have fantasy bonds with people, I wanna know myself deeply. And so how do I do that? Is like I start off by having very authentic relationships and I tell my friends what's going on in my heart and I allow them into those deep places and I allow them to share their hurts and their feelings with me and, and we grow together. And I think that's one of the ways that you kind of figure out. And so when Anissa was talking about like, how do I know if I'm being my authentic self right now? Well, sometimes it just feels right. Like when I'm hanging out with you guys, it just feels right. And I know I'm being myself. And then sometimes when I'm hanging out with other people, when I know I'm not being myself, it feels wrong. It like feels like, like, I'm like, I feel so weird.
3: Like trying to stick a round peg in a yeah. square hole. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, and like I can think of some very specific instances where I do that and it's that I'm trying to fit in or I'm trying to impress or I'm trying to, and that's because I'm in that moment, I'm not thinking the who I am is enough. That's so true. And so, I don't know, um, I think maybe fantasy bonding plays a role in that, but I also think like, confidence plays a role in that too, you know. Okay, so now what we want to do is we've looked at dysfunctions, but I think it's really important that we end on a positive note and that we talk about um, and not focus too much on just the dysfunction, but rather we look at what's God's design and purpose for families despite those dysfunctions. So we all need to understand that families aren't perfect. The reality is humanity is not perfect. We are all alienated and we're alienated from God and each other. When alienated, selfish sinners are put together in a home, sharing possessions and the most intimate aspects of life, having different personalities and interests, and contrasting distribution of power, abilities, and opportunities, you have a recipe for a sin mess. But there's a deeper purpose at work in this mess. The Bible's main theme is God's gracious plan to redeem needy sinners. It teaches us that what God wants most for us is that we become, one, aware of our sinfulness, two, our powerlessness to save ourselves, three, believe and love his son and the gospel he preached, and four, graciously love one another. And as it turns out, the family is the ideal place for all of this to occur. But what we often fail to remember is that the mess is usually required for these things to occur. Sin must be seen. Powerlessness must be experienced before we really turn to Jesus and embrace the gospel. And offenses must be committed if gracious love is to be demonstrated. So if we're praying for our family members to experience these things, we should expect trouble. Family harmony is a good desire and something to work toward, but in God's plan, it may not be what is most needed. What may be most needed is for our family to be a place of grace A place where the heat of pressure forces sin to surface, providing opportunities for the gospel to be understood and applied. And when this happens, the messes become mercies. So my point is this, if your family is not perfect, take heart. God specializes in redeeming messes. See yours as an opportunity for God's grace to become visible to your loved ones and pray hard that God will make that happen. So. If you guys are listening and you're saying, I'm not ready to deal with the dysfunctions of my family, that's fine. We ask that you just keep coming back because there is redemption here. We love you. We'll see you next week. Bye.
3: Bye. See ya.
0: Hey guys, thank you so much for listening to this podcast. We would love for you to subscribe so that you can get each and every episode right away. We'd also love to see you rate, review, and share this podcast with your friends. Every time you share this podcast, it not only means the world to us, but it also gives us more exposure. So to learn more about us, go to treesofhope.org. Bye.